0: Well, regardless of uh, personality type or temperament or age or gender, there is something that rises up in each of us that has the potential to hurt or to damage our relationships or our future. It's something that keeps us from apologizing uh, and admitting we're wrong. It's something that uh, keeps us from showing weakness. It's something that uh, keeps us from forgiving. It's something that causes us to embellish or edit or sometimes just flat-out lie about our past, maybe a failed job, a failure in finances, a failed relationship, a failure in marriage, a falling short in our education, or choosing to cheat instead of losing, or even feeling a twinge of pleasure when someone else fails. It's a thing in us, that, the thing in you that keeps you from celebrating other people's successes, from initiating an apology when you realize that you're wrong, even if you're only 5% wrong. It's a thing that keeps you arguing your point, even though you know in your head you've reached a point like, oh, I'm wrong, but you're not going to admit it. It keeps you from admitting weakness, that you need help, that you don't know what you're doing when honestly everyone else already knows you don't know what you're doing. It keeps you from being honest with yourself and honest with others. It it keeps you from learning new things because basically you want to project an image to everyone else that you're smarter than you actually are. It's what causes you to power up when instead you should be powering down, or it causes you to withdraw when you should lean in. It causes you to always have to have the final word, and it, to buy things to impress people that don't really matter or don't really care. And it stands in the way of not only your relationship with other people, but in your relationship with God. And very importantly to the next few weeks, it causes most of us to commit what's called the fundamental attribution error. How many of you know what the fundamental attribution error is? Awesome, I'm going to teach you something. Okay, for those of you that don't know, the fundamental attribution error refers to our tendency to attribute another's actions to their character and their personality while attributing our own behavior to external factors outside of our control. Make sense? So basically, in other words, we condemn others, yet justify ourselves for the very same behaviors okay? If someone else is late to work, well, clearly, it's because they're irresponsible or they're a millennial. But if we're late to work, we've got a story to tell. I spilled coffee on my pants. My alarm didn't go off. My kid got sick, puked on the kitchen floor. I had to clean it up, find a sitter. Or if we see someone else yelling at their spouse or yelling at their kids, it's like, well, clearly, they have anger issues. But when we yell at our kids, well, they have been belligerent and defiant. So, of course, I needed to raise my voice to those little terrorist, okay, or someone else fails to get their project done. And we think lazy, unmotivated, they don't care but we fail to get a project done on time, well, you need to understand. I got 15 unexpected calls, 30 emails, my computer locked up, a close friend had a crisis, and on and on. And then we, if someone else, if someone voted for this candidate, well, clearly they hate America or they're racist. But when I vote for a candidate, I've got a list of 28 good reasons why I voted for that candidate. And on and on it goes. And at the core, all of this resistance, all of this self-justification, all of this And negative judgment of others while excusing or justifying ourselves, it comes down to one word pride. And because it stands in the way of our relationships with people and with God, it gets us stuck in a pattern of repeating self defeating uh, behaviors and relationships, uh, relationship harming behaviors. For the next two weeks uh, leading into Easter, we're going to talk about pride. And I want you to know I've got a bigger agenda. Because this message is actually the beginning of a journey to better understand yourself because what you don't know about yourself can hurt you and hurt others and hurt your relationships and sabotage you and keep you in an ineffectual relationship with God. So today begins a journey of helping you to understand and to break free from and replace patterns and behaviors that hurt you and hurt others, people that you care about, and not only to learn about yourself, but importantly, to start to see the world more clearly through the eyes of other people, especially people that you care about. I mean, how many of you, there are times that you look in the mirror or you lay in bed at night and you've got a moment where you, you can actually reflect on your day and what things that you've said and things that you've done, and you think, what's wrong with me? Why am I the way that I am? How many of you thought about that about someone else? Maybe somebody close to you, look at them, and you're just like, what is wrong with them? Like, why do they act the way that they do? Why do they think that way? Why are they the way they are? And understanding how and why people think and feel and act the way they do. It paves the way for a wiser, more compassionate, better version of you that you want to become. And all that begins with today's message. And then immediately following Easter, I'm going to be interviewing a very special local professional as we as a community are going to lean into a fantastic tool called the Enneagram. Now, I did not say pentagram, okay, Enneagram. Okay, so think ancient... Myers-Briggs or MBTI or Ancient Disc. It's an ancient profiling system that's so helpful and at times uncomfortably accurate. But today we're going to just take the first step and we're going to talk about the thing that will prevent you from growing and changing and becoming better, and that is pride. And to be clear, this isn't the encouraging pride that inspires people to greatness and like, I'm so proud of you, or I feel a sense of pride for a job well done. It's this yucky thing inside of you and me and uh, that most of you have been a victim of, maybe in your family or with somebody at work in some relationship, and you've dispensed it. But the problem with pride is you can see it in other people in a second, but it is almost impossible to see in the mirror. Meaning that there may be people in your life right now that are victims of your pride. But because you associate pride with loud or boisterous or, or overt arrogance, and you don't see yourself as loud and boisterous or overtly arrogant, you think, I don't have a pride problem. But that's the problem. Pride is insidious and it's ugly and it takes many forms. Sometimes pride is loud and in your face, and other times it's subtle and passively aggressive and it rests in all of us. So we need to learn how to kill it because pride diminishes you. It makes you smaller. Pride always diminishes your capacity to admit what you need to admit, to acknowledge what you need to acknowledge, and apologize when you need to apologize, which means that it makes it impossible for you to change and become a better version of you, which I believe most of us want to do. And we've all had this emotional thing where we know we need to say something but we don't want to, or we just don't. It's like she's over there doing something in the kitchen and you're thinking, you know, I know I should go over there and apologize, but there's this battle going on on the inside or he's right over there doing something and you think, I know I should go over and say, I was wrong and you were right, but he might get the wrong idea and think he's right all the time. I don't know, you've got this internal debate or you're listening to somebody that's making a point about something that you've said and you're beginning to realize they've actually trumped your point and they're actually right and that you just need to admit it or acknowledge and maybe even apologize in you. But there's this thing in you it's just like, oh, I don't want to. I just don't, I, I just don't think I can. And it's just so emotional. And there's just layers and layers of emotion. And it's difficult to make ourselves say what we know we need to say. That's pride. And it diminishes, it diminishes us and it makes us smaller, which is why we've got to kill it. The other thing pride diminishes is our capacity to say what needs to be said, meaning for some of you, there are people in your life right now that are dying for one positive word from you. They can't remember the last time you said something good to them. Just one positive information, uh, a word or affirmation, and they just need it from you, and it's just killing their spirit. Just one stinking compliment. To walk up to them, look them in the eye, and say, you know, I don't say it enough but man, I love you. Or man, you are great at this. Or this is what I love about you. Sweetheart, this is just wow. You're just so wow. Or or to that son or that daughter, your niece or nephew, or a brother or sister, somebody at work, to just walk up and compliment them. But you just can't make yourself say what needs to be said. Not only that, pride diminishes your ability to hear what needs to be heard. There are people who are trying to get through to you, but because of your pride, they just, they just can't. And pride can make it so you can't give what needs to be given. That's why there's things that you know you need to do, things you know you need to say, but you just don't. Or we get about halfway there and start to compliment. But for some of us, it's like every compliment has to have a little bit of a backhand, a little bit of a barb at the end. It's like we compliment, but for some reason, it has to end with some sort of criticism. Why? What is that? It's pride. Because somewhere along the way, you handed pride the remote control of your life. And pride diminishes our capacity to love, and it diminishes our capacity to receive love. Because pride pushes people away. Because when you're full of you, there's no room for anyone else. And the thing that's so insidious is you don't even know when it's happening. Yet for some of you, it could be that there are people at work or at home that they just walk On eggshells around you because the least little thing is going to create some sort of conflict, or you're going to go silent, or you're going to be become aggressive, or you become passive aggressive. People are either exhausted or scared to death of you because they can't ever do anything good enough for you, or they're just going to trip your trigger, and you don't even realize it. It pushes people away, but it isn't just people. Your your pride and my pride has the potential to crowd God out as well. David in the Psalm, Psalm 10, he writes this in his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. Because prideful people basically they seek what's best for themselves. In all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. In 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 the Hebrew, it's literally in his thoughts, there is no God. I really am the center of my universe. So essentially, pride is a prison. It's a prison that shuts us in, and it shuts God and others out. And no one would opt for this on purpose. No one would say, you know what, I'd like to develop such a gr- strong case of pride that no one feels close to me and I don't feel close to anyone else. Like nobody opts for that. No one would say, I want to have such a strong dose of passive or aggressive pride that my sibling or my parents or my boyfriend or girlfriend or my spouse, my kids, my niece or my nephew, perhaps my grandkids, that they find it work to be around me. And they just kind of wonder if I love them. That's not your goal. But it is the result of unchecked passive or passive aggressive pride. And we all begin, all beginning with me. We all have the potential to do that. So that's why we're talking about it as a community. And I desperately want every one of you to engage beginning now and in the next few weeks because the invitation to follow Jesus is actually an invitation to unfollow pride. And, and, and if you're new to our church, you need to, to know that we believe that you can belong before you believe, that you can begin to follow Jesus without believing everything most Christians believe about Jesus. And and, and this is important. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. You need to know that you can begin to follow Jesus without believing that. And the reason why I say that is because every single one of Jesus' first century followers began following Jesus before they came to the conclusion that He was the Son of God. You can choose to follow and begin to lean into the teachings of Jesus without assuming the same thing that many of us assume about the Bible and Jesus. And the reason that's important is because Jesus taught and modeled a radically liberating, life-changing version of humility. And this approach to humility will empower you to say what you need to say, to ask what you need to ask, to listen when you need to listen, and apologize when you need to apologize, admit you were wrong, when you're wrong, and ask for direction when you need to ask for directions, and to stop committing the fundamental attribution error that we talked about. Because for nearly all of us, there is just layer upon layer of emotions that just imprison us to our pride. And the truth is, we all want to be great. We all want to be great in relationships. We all want to be great in our chosen career paths. We all want to be great when it comes to our finances and All of us long to be respected and valued and admired to one level or another. We're going to talk about that more next week. But here's the important thing. Jesus showed up in the world, and he redefined greatness. And he defined it by how well you serve other people, even other people that you're not like or that don't agree with you or don't see the world the same way you do. But here's the important thing. Jesus said, again, let me redefine it. This is how you serve other people. Greatness is defined by how passionate you are for doing for others, not getting others to do for you. Greatness is defined by not defined by defending who I think I am or defending some image of me that's actually better than I really am. Greatness is about humbling myself and pursuing the understanding and the benefit of other people. Otherwise, I allow pride to rob me from being truly great in the things and areas that matter most, the way Jesus defines greatness and to demonstrate what he meant by what he said. And culturally, we totally miss the significance of this moment and the emotion of the scene that you may have heard a thousand times towards the end of Jesus's ministry. I mean, he's the rabbi and with his hands, he healed people. With his hands, he raised the dead. With his hands, he touched lepers. Instead of him getting leprosy, they got whatever he got, and they were healed. And then Jesus takes those hands that multiplied bread and fish, and he gets on his knees, and he washes his disciples' stinking, dirty feet. He's the greatest among them, and he becomes the meekest among them. And then he says, you've heard me talk about it. Now you've seen me do it. I want you to go and do likewise." And if you do, it will break the power of pride in you. But the most significant thing that Jesus did, the pinnacle, the epicenter, the thing that we're going to celebrate in two weeks is that in unbridled humility, Jesus initiated reconciliation. See, you and I don't initiate reconciliation. I mean, not often at least. Sometimes just not at all. It's like they were wrong, and it's like you're going to wait for them to call or message you. You're going to let, wait for them to apologize. You're going to wait for them to come in, to your direction. And even if you're just a little bit wrong, and they're a whole lot wrong, but even if you're a whole lot wrong, there's just something in us that goes, you know, I, I should say something. I should admit I was wrong. I should apologize. But, but I don't want to. That feels awkward, and I don't want to. I just need them to initiate. I need them to come to me and start the conversation. But Jesus, Jesus was right. He was wronged, yet he initiated reconciliation. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and just, if you were to follow Jesus in just that one way, it has the power to break through the pride that keeps you locked in and the people that you love the most or want to be closer to locked out. Pride says wait, Jesus says initiate. Pride says, I have to think about this. I got to get ready. I got to get my friends praying for me. I mean, this is what Christians do. Like, I need you to pray for me. No, I'm not going to pray for you. Just call her. Just call him right now. In fact, here's my phone. Call them right now. Look, Jesus wasn't as guiltless, and we don't know exactly how it happened, but there was a moment in time in which God decided to send Jesus on our behalf. In fact, there's a moment in the Old Testament that I've always loved. It's in the book of Isaiah. It gives us an imagery, I think, of such a moment where God says he realizes or he's expressing uh, the utter helplessness of humanity. And God says, I need a messenger. Whom shall I send? Whom, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. And at some point in time, Jesus agreed to come on our behalf with zero guarantee With zero guarantee, he initiated with zero guarantee that we would reciprocate or respond. But he initiated anyway with an extraordinary mind-bending relationship-mending humility. And then he says to you and me, okay, follow me. Follow my lead. And regardless of what you believe about God or Jesus or the Bible, you're smart enough to know that if, if that was your approach to every relationship, there's almost nothing that couldn't be mended or healed. Your brothers or your sisters, they'd be better off. Your parents would be better off. your kids, your, your spouse, your husband, your wife, the, the people you work with. Your every relationship would be better. You would be better off. Why? Because you will have broken through those layers upon layers of emotion and the past pain that forms current defenses that keep you from asking what needs to be asked, from saying what needs to be said, approaching the people that need to be approached. And the Apostle Paul, 20-something years after the resurrection, he's writing to a brand new Greek and Roman-oriented group of Christians, and he writes this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, have the same approach to life, have the same tact. Mimic Jesus, who made himself nothing. How? By taking the very nature of a servant. There's our word. It's taking on the posture of, you wronged me, so how can I serve you? Okay, she's really, really mad. He's really, really mad. How can I serve them? They have really offended me. They are so wrong. So my response is, how can I serve them? And see, when you listen, like, what? No. Like, no. Like, they deserve words of, of, like, anger or punishment, or they need consequences. Jesus says, no. The question is, how can I serve you? But they owe me an apology. Yeah, but if you go with you, you're going to allow pride to keep you out, keep you in and them out. But that, it never leads anywhere good. So how can I serve them as Jesus served me? That's the question. And if if that's still too fuzzy, then later today, read 1 Corinthians 13. And if you say, Jesus, like, okay, that's radical. Jesus would say, that's my point. And I can tell you from personal experience, after 30 years, over 30 years of marriage, this approach is a game changer. Okay, the The incredible richness of a relationship that you could experience with someone or the people in your life, sometimes it's just mind-blowing if this is your approach. Paul points out just how extreme Jesus was about this. He says Jesus humbled himself. There, again, it's our word. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus chose to get what he did not deserve and gave up what he did deserve for us for relationship. He humbled himself. He deprioritized himself, and he prioritized us even though we didn't deserve it. And that's that extraordinary mind-bending humility to the point of death, even death on a cross. And all he wants you to do is admit you were wrong. All he wants you to do is apologize. All he wants you to do is to give an encouragement, and a compliment. All he wants you to do is write a letter. Maybe all he wants you to do is just shut up and listen for once and try to see things from another person's perspective to learn their story. All he wants you to do is to to speak up maybe. All he wants you to do is say, I just so appreciate you. I am so proud of you. I so love you. All Jesus who died for you wants you to do is go to your son or your daughter's recital or activity or game that isn't what you would have chosen for them. But you sit on the front row and you cheer. All he wants you to do is to quit making excuses for why you won't go to counseling. And I don't think it's an accident that you're here this morning, that you're listening, that you're joining us, that you're engaged with New Life in this season and listening to my voice right now which means that I believe He wants you to be extra engaged with us, especially over the next few weeks, the next few Sundays, and one single Saturday in April, in five weeks. And if you say, I don't know if I can show up five Sundays in a row, and I don't know if I can give up a Saturday, then, then could it be, and I'm not accusing you know, or I'm not questioning, I'm just asking the question, could it be that you don't truly understand the significance or the lengths to which your Savior went for you. How far did he go to death? Not just any death, even death on a cross. And then he looks to you and me and says, now, here's what I want you to do. Follow me. Become a servant. Follow me. Hand me the remote. Jesus says, do you really want pride to control you for the rest of your life? Do you want pride and your resistance to invest the time and the effort to better understand yourself and others and to continue to hinder or even sabotage what is happening in your marriage or your relationships or with your kids that you know you want to get better, maybe in the school or in the workplace. Jesus says, if you're my follower, pride is not your master. I am. So hand me the remote. I want you to embrace radical love and radical humility. And if if you're a Christian, we have no excuse not to. See, every time you sing the songs, every time you pray, every time you say, thank you, Jesus, or God help me, you're doing all that, assuming a relationship with God that is based entirely on extraordinary, costly humility to which we've been invited to participate. So we're going to end today with three questions to just kind of get you thinking and then come back next week. So question one is this, how does pride manifest itself in you? How does pride manifest itself in you? Now, for a lot of you, like, I, I kind of know you, and I'm, I'm I look, looking at your faces, and I know you're online, and I'm thinking, like, they don't really strike me as prideful, but what you need to do is either the person that came with you, or somebody close to you, somebody very close to you knows the answer to this question, okay? If it's a mystery, like, I don't know, I don't even know if I've got this problem. Okay, over lunch, but towards the end, because you don't want to ruin the whole lunch, uh, you should say, hey, honey, or son, or daughter, a friend, roommate, fiancé, whatever it is. uh, So, how do you think pride manifests itself in me? Little ways, big ways. And then just shut up and listen. And if you're with more than one person, and this, like, suddenly gets really quiet, and they're making eye contact with each other and not you, Buckle up. They know the answer, okay? Uh, they all know, but you need to then listen and don't become defensive because if you get defensive, then you've just given pride to remote again, okay? You listen. And I, I'll tell you one way it manifests itself in me. And I became extra aware of this when I first engaged uh, the Enneagram a a few years ago, like we're going to do as a whole community right after Easter. It's going to be awesome. But for me, especially as a younger man, in my insecurity, which is a key root of pride, by the way, Uh, in my insecurity was to exaggerate things to make myself look better than I was in reality. Like I wanted to appear smart. I wanted to appear successful. So I would cherry pick my stories. I would finesse them in such a way that sound made me sound better than I was. Another way, and my wife can confirm this to can confirm this to my shame especially in the early years of our marriage uh, there would be times that she would ask me a question about something that i was doing or saying or thinking And I would immediately become defensive and pick a fight because I interpreted being asked a question as being questioned, that somehow my ability or my intellect or my character was on the line and being challenged, when honestly, she was just simply trying to understand because a lot of things I said and did didn't make sense, okay, because the sad truth was sometimes I was being an idiot. I did need my judgment challenged. But in my insecurity and my pride and my power personality, I would just power up and I could shut it down. And this pride just caused me to be a jerk and push both her and God away. And especially as Enneagram 3, which again, most of you don't know what that is. In a few weeks, you will know. uh, I still battle thinking too much about how people perceive me versus just being fully authentic Unguarded, unfiltered. But the great news is is I've worked and it's just a constant work in progress of killing my pride. This isn't as much of an issue as it was even a few years ago. And at some point along the way in your life, you've got to answer this question. You've just got to answer this question. How does pride manifest itself in me? And you've got to call it out so that it doesn't hurt you and doesn't shut people and shut God out. So here's the second question. This one's a little harder. What does pride masquerade as in you? Meaning, uh, maybe it's confidence. Oh, I, I'm just confident. No, you're arrogant. Okay? Uh, the confidence is how you masquerade and camouflage pride. Uh, maybe it's intellect, and you're just really, really smart. Maybe it's fashion. Maybe it's just like, I like nicer things, the better things in life. Uh, I've just good, got good taste. Well, maybe that's true. But maybe it's how you mask and hide your pride. Sarcasm, a commitment to excellence. I'm just committed to excellence. No, you're nitpicky and prideful. Uh, being an extrovert. Oh, you just, you know what? If you're a friend of mine or your family member, you just need to toughen up. I'm an extrovert, okay? So I'm outspoken. I can't help what I say, what's on my mind. So just suck it up. I'm an extrovert. Or being an introvert oh, no, I'm not ignoring or avoiding you. I'm an introvert. I can't help it. It's the way that I'm wired. No, there's something that you're mad or bothered about, and so you're intentionally punishing them by avoiding them or giving them the silent treatment. See, there's all kinds of wonderful things and virtues behind which pride can hide, and I'm just telling you, when you can spot it and call it out, you will make progress. The last one is this. How much longer do you plan to allow pride to hold the remote? A month? A year? The rest of your life? Wouldn't you like to break it? Wouldn't you like to kill it? Wouldn't you like to recognize it so every time it whispers you in your ear or tries to take you back into that old pattern, you go, no. Pride, I'm done with you. And rather than making excuses and staying silent, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to apologize and not some half-hearted apology. I'm going to own it. I'm going to lay it out there or I'm going to go compliment them. I'm going to go over the top and just compliment them on what a great job they did. I'm even going to go to my coworker or the guy that got promoted, the girl, the lady got promoted that did and I didn't, I wanted that job and I'm going to go compliment them for what a great job that they're doing. I'm going to brag on my son. I'm going to brag on my daughter, even though they're not necessarily doing, taking the the route or the approach or the extracurricular activity that I would prefer they do. And I'm going to go cheer them because this is what they want. And from now on, I'm never going to publicly correct or criticize my spouse. And from now on, I will intentionally praise them publicly. So from now on, I will praise publicly and question privately, not because they're perfect, but because I am not going to let pride control my life. I'm going to admit that I've got a problem. I'm going to admit I have a drinking problem. I'm going to admit I have a porn problem. I'm going to admit I have a secret addiction. I'm going to tell somebody. Because for years and years and years, pride has been whispering, you can handle this. You can handle this. But I can't. It's not getting any better. But pride says, don't tell anybody. They'll judge you. They'll ostracize you. They'll cut you out. And pride like pride, is, no, I'm tired. I'm done. Because I'm not getting any better. So I'm not going to hide. I'm done letting pride keep me in and God and others out. How much longer do you want to let pride hold the remote? Pride will keep you from doing something about what you see or what you need to see in the mirror. Which means pride will shut us in and God and others out. So we're going to talk about it. But we're also going to do something. Okay? Talking is a start but is if you're around new life any length of time we don't just talk about things there's always a point of application because if you if you don't apply it it's like paint in a can doesn't do anybody good you got anybody good. so to start because i believe you actually want to grow you actually want to grow and have your life and your relationships be better to be better at life and relationships that you always want to be getting better for you and the people in your life that you care about if you're really serious about it, here are just the next steps. So if you haven't already, on your way out on the, on the table there, grab a copy of this book, Road Back to You. Okay? They're 15 bucks. If all you got is a 20, give that 20. If you don't need that $5 change, we'll use that to help subsidize a book for whom $15 right now is a big, big deal. Okay? Uh, if you want to, I actually got the audio book. I went through the audio book twice, and then like, I got to get the physical book because I need to take some notes and highlight. And so that would be the first step. Uh, if you're joining us online, we've got a link in the comments so you can pick up that book on Amazon. Okay, step two, come back next week. All right. And then this is a big one. I mentioned it at the front end. For one Saturday in April, and I know like to think a Saturday, like 9 to 5, okay, that seems like a big deal. All right. And for some of us, I get it. We're all busy. We've got, all got full and loaded lives. But one Saturday in April, we're going to be ha- on April 24th. We're going to have an awesome, like right in this room, we're going to have an awesome professionally led day workshop that's designed to help you better understand you and better, better understand the people in your life that matter most to you. And especially if, if you're uh, younger in a relationship, for those of you that you've got young kids, like this is the best time to get plugged into something like this. Because what you don't know or truly understand about yourself can hurt you and your relationships and how you make your way in this world. But but truly knowing yourself can make all the difference in your life and relationships, your education, your career. And beginning to truly see the world through other people's eyes, especially those closest to you, it can just completely change everything. So what would that be worth? I think it'd be worth a Saturday. And not just you. I mean, you've got people in your life that you should bring with you to something like this and uh, because it could change everything for them. Let me pray. Father, I, I pray for all of us because uh, this isn't a one and done. This is an ongoing thing for all of us. And God, we just I just know for all of us even the sweetest hearts and minds in this place and those joining us, that pride will manifest itself. We get the fences up. So I pray for all of us that uh, over the next couple of weeks especially, that you help us to see that in us and identify it and to begin to challenge that. I pray, God, that we would have the courage to lean into the lives of the people around us to help us see ourselves the way they see us that you would give us the courage then to deal with the stuff that may be unpleasant, that we may not like about ourselves. God, I pray you this for all of us, and we're going to need your help. We'll not be able to do it without you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray.